Luke 23. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. This is a ten-worded prayer that is so powerful I wanted us to meditate on it this morning. Just to kind of turn it over in our hearts and minds like a morsel of food by hungry people. There are some things that when we come to God, we know to confess. People don't know, we know. They're kind of private So we tell God about them. Other things, uh, we come to God, we confess, but we don't even know. But God knows. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's some things we don't, We don't even realize that we have sinned in that and and how bad it was. But he forgives us for those as well. Father, forgive them for they know not. That there are some faiths that believe in order to be forgiven you have to be specific and actually confess each one of the sins that you're forgiven of. (laughs) Well, A, how much time do we really have? (laughs) And B, they're assuming that you know everything. You don't. You don't know all your sins. If you think you do, ask your husband or wife. They'll help you to know. There are some things that no one knows, but God knows. There's a level of darkness in us that is still forgiven. And that's the grace and mercy of God. For he says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. See, if they had known that this is the Son of God promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah of the Jews, if they had known this was the hope for eternal life, and the Creator of all things, John 1.3, said all things were made through Him, And Colossians 1.16 says everything was made through him and for him. And they took the tree that was to be for his glory that he made for him, himself, and they took it, turned it into a cross, and killed him on it. If they had known, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood this. 
For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had known. So they didn't know. Much of the harm that we do is rooted in the darkness, in the dark places that is in us. And I don't necessarily mean here um, uh, ignorance as in a lack of information, uneducated. I don't mean that. It's a darkness that is rooted in the spirit and in the heart. Jesus said in Luke 6.39, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in the ditch? He doesn't mean uneducated. He means spiritual blindness that is over the heart and mind, the darkness that comes from evil connected to the fallen nature with Adam. We are connected to Adam. He means the satanic blindness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. There's a spiritual blindness that comes from sin and our fallen nature, evil spirits. There's that. So it's not so much a lack of information, but it is a spiritual stupor, a low spiritual IQ that cannot comprehend spiritual things. And it, it, it's not just the big issues. It, it, it includes small events in life that go way back. Take the case of Norman Johnson. Uh, Johnson was a teacher at Madison High School in Madison, South Dakota. He was retired, and one day the doorbell rang. He opened the door, and there stood an old high school buddy named Carl Erickson. Uh, He he played uh, sports with him in high school. Carl Erickson is now 73 years old also retired, he said, are you Norman Johnson? To which Johnson replied, yes. Erickson pulled out a gun and shot him dead in the doorway. He was arrested and brought to trial, and it came out that the reason he shot him was when they, on one occasion, when they were on the sports team, In the locker room, Johnson had put a jockey strap on his head and made fun of him, and everybody laughed. Okay, now assuming that that is weird, and that this guy does have some psychopathic problems, but still, who would have thought you would hang on to that event for 60 years? Dude! Al Gore invented the internet while you were still stewing on this. We've gone to the moon and back. Wasn't it time at some point to move on? But he didn't. Now, there's no question that that was ridiculous. And he should have went to jail, and he did. 
However, it's still interesting that the damage done over 50 years ago stayed with that boy until it finally erupted like a volcano in a moment and ended in death. Now, I hope that nothing like that ever happens to any of us, but if you just think back over your life how many cruel things you have said or done and forgotten about, how many duties you have neglected, how many sins you have committed, crimes you've gotten away with. (laughs) How many criminals do we actually have here this morning? Red lights you ran that nobody was there. You ever ever felt like, oh man, I'm due one. I'm due a ticket. I I really need to get a ticket right now. (laughs) Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Have you thought about how your response to God's reproof, God's Word, the effect it's had on others. There was a lady at our our, uh, early congregation who was pulling out to go to church and her neighbor came up to her and said, uh, I just wanted to, she was pulling out of the driveway and her neighbor came up and said, I just wanted to tell you that I have watched you for 20 years how you have been faithful. And I knew when you were leaving, you were going to church. What a testimony. If somebody had watched you for 20 years, would they be closer today or farther today from God? So you go back and you start thinking about all of the things that I don't even remember. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness for the depths of our darkness. I am happy about that. I want to make some comments here on this, as we meditate on this prayer this morning. One is this. Part of our forgiveness includes those things against Christ we don't even know. Including our participation in His crucifixion. Our role in it. He didn't die just because of a political revolution. He died because of our sins. Some years ago, this is uh, over 15 years ago, I was going through a period of spiritual funk. And I just, uh, but I always go try to go to a Good Friday service somewhere. And this one was over on Bristol Road at uh, Harmony Baptist Church. 
They had a preacher that day for a Good Friday service. He was my friend. I knew him as a good man, a good Christian man. Not an exceptional preacher. But you know what? To be honest, I wasn't really looking for an exceptional, eloquent man. I was looking that day for somebody who would just bring the gospel. I just, I needed the gospel. And as he got up and as he was sharing and he talked about the good what Good Friday was, and he talked about our participation in the crucifixion, he put a picture up. And do we have that picture? Go to that, uh, the next one. Up. This is the picture he put up. I tried to find the, the author. I didn't see a name at the bottom to give him credit for it. But this is the picture he put up. And it has, if you, if you can make this out, the guy has a hammer in his right hand. And he has a nail in his left hand. And look at his face. It's like he suddenly has been rescued from this awful crime of crucifixion by the very one he was crucifying. (laughs) And look at the size of the hands of Jesus in this. That was intentional. The power of the risen Christ to rescue us and the compassion to do so that moved him to do so. Even to those whose very sins put him on that cross. And when he was putting this up there and explaining this picture, it was as if Jesus came to me and said, that is you, but I'm here. And I've forgiven you. It was profound. It was a moment where I made some decisions that I've never reneged on. My participation, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus came to Paul and said, and Paul said, Lord, who are you? This is before he was converted. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm doing this to you? And the the thought of it just wiped him out for three days. And it says when he realized, it says his eyes were opened and scales, something like scales fell off of his eyes and he could see. Feeling it is one thing. It's not just information here. But knowing that we have participated in the cross... Well, that's part of our forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't realize what the cross meant and our role in it. But we're forgiven for it anyway. Here's another thought that I had, that if Christ can so forgive us in this manner, How much more should we forgive others? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the Son of God. You're crucifying Him, but He forgives us like this. Um, So shouldn't we forgive people who do things to us, you know, since we we don't quite rise to the level of the deity of, (laughs) the dignity of Christ? Uh, If so, if we, if Christ forgives us, shouldn't we then forgive. And I put uh, 
just as a little aside here, I wanted to bring you these these categories. You know, you've heard about uh, hurricanes as categories. Category one, two, three. Well, these are categories of offense. So let me just give you these real quick um, and how to respond to them. Uh, category one, we would call this a minor annoyance. What do you do with a minor annoyance? Proverbs twelve sixteen. The vexation of a fool is known at once, and the prudent ignores an insult. And now, so what, what do you do with these uh, irritations that people bring? I took uh, Jan to a movie a few weeks ago, and we went in, and, and uh, I was a little annoyed at the price of the popcorn, you know, $100 for that much. Uh, but what, what irritated me to the point where I almost said something was the way this lady was to, to me. She was a young woman, and she wouldn't look at me. I was just a number that, I, that was going through, and she looked off somewhere. And, you know, and I was, I wanted to just stand there and wait till she looked at me. Looking up, gave me the price, what do you want? I, I, I actually did this. <laughs> Jan could tell I was getting a little annoyed. And she said, okay, let's go. What do you do when there's these little minor irritations? Ignore it. It's not worth anything. It's useless. It's, don't fuss about the popcorn or the insult. He says, the prudent ignores an insult, Proverbs twelve sixteen. Richard Carlson wrote a book in 1997 that spent a hundred weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. You know what the name of it was? Don't sweat the small stuff. Because evidently, people complicate their lives with these energy-draining little annoyances during the day. And he says, you're making way too much out of it. Diminish that which is diminished in life. Don't magnify it. That's category one. Move on. Ignore it. Category two is a legitimate wound. This is when somebody's hurt you, the relationship is in jeopardy, and you actually need to do something. Or you may lose the friend or the person's, the relationship. What do you do? Resolve it. Um, Matthew 18, 15, Jesus gave us the solution here. He said, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go to him alone and tell him his fault or the, debate the issue and try to win your brother. Three things there, Matthew 18, 15. Number one, take the initiative, go. Don't throw away a friendship. Don't let it go. It's, if it's a serious enough breach, if it rises beyond that which you can ignore... Then the second thing, it's a category two. 
You take the initiative, try to rescue the friendship, and he says, go, but go alone. Don't dramatize it. Don't exaggerate it. Don't widen it. Keep it minimal. With the express goal of rescuing the relationship. That's category two. If it doesn't rise to that level, don't go, but then don't stew on it either. If, you, if, it's, if it's enough to make you constantly complain, then you need to stop complaining and go resolve it. Category two is resolution. It calls for a response. There's a third level. This is a life-changing injustice. What do you do with that? You forgive it. Now that gets us closer to what the cross is. This life-altering, it can be uh, child abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment of a parent, betrayal of trust in a marriage or a friendship, a dishonest financial decision that's going to cost you your retirement. It's life-altering. You are not going to be the same because of it. That's a category three. The loss is permanent. That's a permanent loss. There's nothing you can do or nothing they can do. Repentance is not going to fix it. And so what you do there is you forgive it. That is to say you bear the penalty of their indiscretion. That's what Jesus did. Jesus bore the penalty in a life-altering, unchangeable moment. And He said, Father, forgive them. Now Jesus is not going to have a wife. He's not going to know what it means to have children. He's not going to know what it means to have a nice job and a retirement. He's not going to know what it means to be a happy Jewish man and big family with his wife sitting and his children around the table like uh, olives in Psalm 128. He's not going to have any of those things. He is now unalterably changed in his future. And he asked that those who did that be forgiven for what they did. I think we're getting closer to the idea of forgiveness. Has someone done that to you? Our response, as we meditate on this prayer, our response to be like Christ and join Him in the spiritual life of the Father is, Father, forgive them in the darkness that they don't know they not only can't fix it, they don't even know what they've done to me. I forgive it. That's what Jesus did. Colossians 3.13 As the Lord has forgiven you, you forgive others. And they may never know the cost of the offense. Ouch. 
Here's another idea that comes to the surface here, and that is that the power to pray this prayer comes from a surrendered life. Our life is surrendered to God. Jesus prayed this prayer in the center of God's will. The crucified life is the life that can intercede. It's the life surrendered to God that can pray this prayer to God. The power of His intercession is rooted in His crucified life. John eleven forty two, Jesus said, Father, I thank You that You always hear me when I pray. And that comes because He lived a surrendered life. Stephen, in Acts 7, 59, was dragged out of the temple area by the Jews and stoned. And it says in Acts 7, verse 60, he kneeled down and prayed with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Do you know what the word forgive uh, in the the Greek means? It's apoemi, and it means to send away. To forgive means to send the charge that is laid against somebody, that is brought. It means to send that away. Don't bring it into court. That's what forgiveness means. It means to drop the charges against you. That's what I want. Drop the charges. Yeah, because the prosecutor has taken your side and he's dropped the charges. The legalities have ceased. And when Stephen prayed this prayer, he said, Lord, lay not... This is what they're doing to me. They basically were doing to Stephen what these Roman soldiers were doing to Jesus. And he said, Lord, lay not this charge against them. Drop the charges. But Stephen, they are stoning you. They are killing you. They are removing your future. It's life-altering, permanent damage to your future. And he said, Lord, drop the charges. Drop the charges. Where did he get that? He got it when Jesus was on the cross and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Send it away. Drop the charges. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.16, who was listening to Stephen pray that prayer, he says in his last letter, 2 Timothy, the last thing he ever wrote, chapter 4, the last chapter he ever wrote, he said, I went, I was hauled before Caesar, Nero Caesar. No man stood with me. Nobody from the churches of Rome came and stood by my side. Nobody took up for me. And he said, all men forsook me, and I prayed to God that it would not be laid to their charge. I said, God, don't hold it against them. Drop the charges. When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, he was praying 
drop the charges for the things they know they've done and drop the charges for all of the darkness and all the way back into the past, into high school and all the cruelty that they've imposed, the duties they've omitted, the things they have said or left unsaid, the opportunities they have squandered, may the charges all be dropped as he hung on the cross. So now, we walk out of the courtroom a free man. What are you going to do with your freedom? It was a rainy night in Long Island, New York, and a lady named Victoria Rivolo was driving home after a day's work. Some teenagers were coming the opposite direction. They had, for some reason... Um, and with stolen credit cards, bought some turkeys, frozen turkeys. And they decided that it would be fun to throw a frozen turkey out the window at an oncoming car. And so Ryan Cushing tossed a 20-pound turkey through the front windshield of Victoria's oncoming Honda. It smashed her face so that nearly every bone in her face was broken. Had she not had a passenger to steer the car, she would have certainly crashed and been dead. And and the passenger held her head up so she didn't choke to death on her own blood. She was in a coma for nearly a month. When she got out, they said, well, they found the guys who did this, and they're, they're hauling them into court. This guy, Ryan Cushing, he's a no good, no job, no nothing. He's, a, he's just a punk. She decided to attend the arraignment. And Ryan's eye caught hers. And he said, I'm sorry. She actually went over to him and hugged him. And when at the time of the sentencing, when it came time for sentencing, she had recovered enough that she appealed to the judge to drop the charges. He was facing 25 years. Now the judge said... I'm not going to totally do it. I'm going to give him five years of probation and six months of confinement. But essentially, it ended up that he got off when he could have been in jail till he was an old man. Now, Ryan, what are you going to do with your freedom? He got out. He got a job, wasn't the best job that he wanted, but it was a job. He was able to pay for his own apartment. He wrote a letter to Victoria in which he said this, We seldom have a chance in life to connect with some special person who has true love and compassion. Your ability to forgive me has had a profound effect 
on me. I realize life is not just about choices, but it's learning from the choices we make, whether bad or good, learning from the consequences, bad or good. Miss Ruvolo, I want to wish you the very best. You deserve it. I want to thank you and tell you I am truly sorry. From that day, this was 10 years ago, he's been an exemplary young man. What will you do with your freedom? It wasn't just about getting off. It is the love of the person that you hurt. That's what is right here. Jesus, my life, crucified you. My sins put you there. But I, where do you meet love and compassion like this? Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they've done. I am glad for that. That's what I need. So I go out now and I intend to do the same thing because I got it from him. I can't possibly hold an insult of a little girl at the popcorn stand. I got to move on. I've been given too much. And I trust that is what you will sense today as you meditate on this prayer.